I want people to be inspired. I want people to know that even though you may not come from the best beginnings, you can make something out of yourself. You can get out of bad situations. And I think that's important to tell. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it. From the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Hey everyone, this show might sound a bit different today because we are still skimming from three different couches. The skim is still working from home for the time being because of COVID-19. Today, Lonnie Love joins us on Skimmed from the Couch. She's a comedian and the Emmy and NAACP Image Award-winning co-host of the daytime talk show, The Real. She's also the co-host of Cafe Mocha on SiriusXM. Her new memoir, entitled I Tried to Change So You Don't Have to, examines her unconventional path to Hollywood. Lonnie, we are very excited to have you today. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. I am so glad you can read. I just That's just impressive. It's so impressive. Also, can I just tell you that doing these and reading it in one shot, it's very, I get very nervous about tripping up on words. So thank you. I'm very happy that I got through that. I'm doing like stuff at home now because everything is yeah. at home and it literally takes me like two hours to film myself when I'm doing things like this. So I am very impressed, Danielle. You did a great job. Great thank job. you. <laughs> We want to ask you first question, skim your resume for us. Lonnie Love from the Brewster Projects, uh, went to uh, Prairie View a University, got an engineering degree, was an engineer for eight years, got tired of that, became a stand-up comic, and then I got into a couple of movies, and then I got a talk show, and then I won an Emmy. Casual. That's a great way to end any resume. <laughs> and then I won an Emmy. And what Fuck did you them. do? Yeah, what did you do? Yes. <laughs> so I did not win an Emmy, but um, I do have a question, which is what is something that we wouldn't know about you from Wikipedia or formal bio? Uh, that I was a former Little Miss Detroit 1973 and so I'm a beauty queen, wow. technically. I did not know that. <laughs> you, you should lead with that. I like that. What was it? How did you get on the, the beauty pageant? It was something that they just did at our rec center. I was little. I was maybe, what, I was maybe six or five. It was just something that I did. I just can, All I can remember is having the sash. My mom put 3,000 barrettes and ponytails in my head. And I, you know, won it. And, I, you know, and back then we didn't have have camera phones I wish we you know we just we had the disposable camera so we I have no pictures but I remember that feeling what was your talent did you do stand-up no I was I was probably uh singing I remember doing that because I really thought I could be a singer but I could never hit that um B flat note so it never worked out (laughs) so I want you to kind of take us back for a second. And, you know, we're going to dive into to your journey and how you, how you got to where you are. And I think 
it would be really helpful if you could just walk us through what your childhood was like. Well, you know, the thing is, is that I grew up in the Brewster Projects and I explained in my book all about how the Brewster Projects was actually developed. It was low cost housing for African-Americans at the time that were migrating from the south to the, the cities to the north. And so at the time, it became this area of prosperity, but throughout the decades, it actually became this really sad and really hopeless place of drugs and impoverished people. And for those who aren't familiar with the Rooster Projects, um, it was in Detroit, Yes, in Detroit, Michigan, where I grew up. And so basically, you know, I grew up, at the time, I didn't know that I was poor because everybody around me was poor. Everyone around me didn't have a dad because we were under this welfare system so that the dads couldn't be in the household. So basically, I'm explaining how this foundation actually created me and was instilled in me. And then unfortunately, around 1980s, crack came into the projects and then that made it deteriorate even further. So basically, I'm telling the story about what happened, how I survived, how I had inspiration, how I found religion. But the whole point of it is that I got out of it. And I think that's important for people to know. I want people to be inspired. I want people to know that even though you may not come from the best beginnings, you can make something out of yourself. You can get out of bad situations. And I think that's important to tell. You went from being homeless as a teenager and sleeping in your car to ultimately graduating college with an engineering degree. I mean, that is just amazing. Looking back on it, do you still feel like that person every day or does that feel like a different person than the the Lonnie Love we're seeing today? You know, it feels like a different person. And the reason why I'm so happy that when I was going through that situation, I actually journaled and I'm I'm asking women especially to journal, especially in the situation that we're in right now, where it's very historic, we're living through a pandemic. A lot of us don't journal, even if you just write a couple of lines every day. Back then, I would keep a a diary of how I was feeling, what I was going through, and I was able to look back on that after, you know, 20 years, 25 years. And it's just amazing at the things that, you know, a 17, 18 year old me thought versus what I think now and how I thought life was just going to be hopeless. But then there were times when during that time that there was glimmers of hope, like I had gotten a job and then I had met this great man that became my mentor and he changed my life. So That's why I the thing that I try to stress to people is to make sure that you journal. I don't care what it is. If it's just a couple of lines every day or once a week, get a notebook and write down your feelings, write down what's happening in your life, because you're going to look back five years from now, maybe at a low point or at a high point and you can realize where you came from. You keep a journal today. I still keep a journal. Do you actually like have a handwritten one or a typed one? I have a handwritten one. I like to handwrite. I usually do it at night um, when I'm about to go to bed or I do it first thing in the morning. It's really different now than when I was, of course, because it's like I can say I met Idris Elba. (laughs) I wish I can say that. I want to say that. (laughs) Wait, what was he like? (laughs) He was fantastic. Oh, good. He smells so good. 
Every time I hear him talk, like in an interview, I always forget he's British because I just always think of him from the wire and I always do a double take. But I'm jealous that you met him. Yes, I really. And so it's like it's it's a different feeling now and different writings, but it still shows the growth of my life of being in a place where I never thought that I would meet the people that I, I watched as a child. You know, I watched the soul singers like, you know, Diana Ross and Patti LaBelle. And now to have a television show where Patti LaBelle comes on the show or Smokey Robinson comes on the show. I'm like, oh my goodness. I love that you're saying that because, you know, obviously you, you're in a much bigger spotlight than we are. But, you know, anytime we've met people, you know, who are high profile or who that we've always looked up to, we completely geek out. And we had somebody say to us, they were like, pull it together. Like you're acting like such a loser. And I was like, you know what? Like the day that this gets old is a day I don't like myself anymore. And so I'm glad you're you're geeking out too. You know, I'm glad. And you know what? Relish that. Don't let anybody take that away from you. I mean, sometimes, I, you know, I... I learned how to deal with it. Who have you freaked out the most over? Patti LaBelle. I have to say, Patti LaBelle, who is a a singer. My mom used to play all of her songs um, in college. She had like a lot of hits and she still continues to this day. But when I got the um, when I got the notification that she was going to come on the show, I was like really excited. And the thing is about the show I'm talking about is I have a talk show called The Real. And this was about three years ago when she first came on. And we don't get to see her before you know, we actually take the show. So basically it's still like in my mind, like Patty LaBelle. Yeah, she's coming. Right. And then they introduce <laughs> her and he's like, Patty LaBelle. And she came and I just start bawling and I have the ugliest cry in America. I, I cannot keep it together. Like some people can cry and get it together. Once I start crying, it's like my makeup is running and my nose is running and I'm like, and I'm just filled with emotion. And she grabbed my hand and she was like, okay. And then that's when I knew that I had to like get it together. I want to talk. So after you graduated college, you worked in corporate America. Now I've known you for approximately seven minutes and I could tell that you would not like corporate America. So, so how soon did you know this is not for me? Oh, the first day. And what was your job? I was a, a project engineer. No, I started out as a manufacturing engineer for Xerox. I used to actually build circuit boards. And then when I first got there, in three months, we had a layoff. And that layoff was so devastating to me because they were laying off people that had been working for 30, you know, 35 years. And I thought that was so unfair. And, I, and it just hit me. It's like, wow, there's no loyalty. Where's the loyalty? These people put their whole lives working for 30 years and then you just lay them off. And the I don't know if, if anybody has been through a layoff when you when when we were sitting in the office, you have to sit there and you have to wait for them to call your name or they call you on the phone. And we were all in cubicles and you can hear phones ringing and people would get up and they go to the manager's office. They come back. Some people were crying. Some people are mad. Some people are just silent. And it's nothing you can do. You sit there and you go, I'm I'm sorry you got laid off. And I was just so angry. And I was like 21, 22 at the time, a fresh young engineer. And that's when I knew I said, I got to do something different because I can't deal with this. And so that's when I knew. And that's when I started 
planning to try to change my life and change my career. And where did comedy come in? Well, comedy came in through um, college. I was broke at the time. (laughs) I needed $50. And I went to one of the like little dive bars right outside of uh, the campus. And they were having a contest. And they said, hey, we'll give $50 to the best story. And so I just, I needed that money so bad. And I just got up there and I just said a story. I want to stop. I... I love like the hustle and the grit of like, I needed to make money and I figured out a way to make money. And we talk a lot about side hustles on this show and figuring out your talent or, or hidden passion. But comedy, and I'm going to say my my knowledge of comedy is like Seinfeld, a few Netflix specials and Mrs. Maisel. But what I know is that you get on stage and you have to put yourself out there in front of people. That takes balls. <laughs> no, it doesn't. If you, if you, if you need money, there's a lot of things that you do. Some people sell plasma. I got up there and I just did a story and I didn't care. But really at the time, I didn't realize that it was stand up. I was just trying to make some money. And then once I won, I'm like, oh my God, they pay people to tell stories. Are they uh, seriously? And that's when I started actually researching about the history of stand up. And that's really kind of like how I got into it. And then I started just doing like writing a set. And I just started doing just a little bit in college. There's this thread when you think about it from being little Miss Detroit to being someone that was homeless, living in her car to graduating, not just with a degree, but a degree in engineering to then working in corporate America and being like, you know what, I want something different. I think a lot of people would have stopped at Xerox and been like, I'm going to move up the ladder here. There's just this confidence in you that comes across at every step of the way. Where did that come from? That came from being a Detroiter. All Detroiters have confidence. All Detroiters are funny. I mean, from the mailman to the wino, the everybody is like, we go through hard times, but Detroiters are going to make it. Really, that foundation comes from being a Detroiter, I believe. You know, and we can take snow. Anybody that can take snow that's up to their chin is going to know that life is going to be okay. And we're just going to, we're going to dig out of this snow. I'm from Chicago and I had a lot of snow and I'm not that funny. So Chicago is different. <laughs> y'all different. Y'all no, y'all don't y'all y'all have snow and wind. Yes. Y'all have the hog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that no. you stay in your house. I mean, not everyone that you grew up with, I'm assuming, made it. So did you just have something that you didn't realize until later on? You know, I think to answer that question, you would really have to I hope answer it by looking, reading the stories in the book, because it wasn't confidence. You know, the reason why I said I tried to change so you don't have to is because I was trying to change a lot of things because I was trying to, you know, I felt like if I do this, this will make this person happy. Or if I got a job and it's a good job with dental benefits, dental benefits, I can get my wisdom teeth taken out. I'll be happy. And when I got all that stuff, I wasn't happy. And so when people say, how can you, you know, most people would stop. I didn't stop because I wasn't happy and I knew that there was something going on. And so as I was going through life, I realized that I was alone and I was trying to meditate and I was doing all this stuff. And it just, you know, different situations happened in my life to make me realize that I wasn't happy and that I needed to change. And so that you know, I don't think it was just because everybody thinks I'm, I'm confident today, 
But back then I was a mess. I really was. What do you think people who knew you back then would have said about you? Uh, they wonder why I quit my engineering job. <laughs> Like, why do you quit a good job? I mean, you got to understand to be a black female engineer at that time, that was like deemed this great hole because there were there were so few of us. And the school that I went to was a historically black college that graduated the most black engineers ever. When I graduated, I had seven job offers. So it's basically your life was written. And so for me to make the decision that that's not what I wanted to do. I was unhappy. I had this boyfriend and I had this good job and I was supposed to be married and start having kids. And I was like, oh, I don't want, why am I so unhappy? And I was talking to other women. I have to say too, I will say that I started developing my confidence when I started talking to other women. And women can be powerful, especially women that work in corporate America, because you got to remember, I was 22 and I started when I my first work team were, were all men. They were all in their like, 50s. And we are sitting there at the meeting and they're like, you know, talking about their day, like at the Monday, Monday meeting, what they did for the weekend. And like, we went up to Big Bear, California. and We went up to the mountains. What did you do, Lonnie? I'm like, I went to the Snoop Dogg concert. You know? <laughs> Like, and they're looking at me like, I was the first person in my group to have a pager. Remember when they used to have pagers? This is before, yeah. this is before phones, yeah. kids, okay? But pagers were equated with being a, a dope dealer. But no, I was wearing a pager because, you know, I was young and I needed to get in contact with my friends because I was working in this building. So there was all these different cultural differences with me. It was an age difference. It was, you know, a culture difference. I started building my confidence because I met women at work who had experienced certain things and I started talking to them and they started mentoring me. And so I really have to give it up to women when they say women don't help each other. That is not true because I was young and these women had had babies and they had been working for years. And so I was able to ask them questions and they actually guided me and helped me influence my life. One of the things that we get asked a lot after people hear somebody on the show or if we post something on our Instagram is, but what do I say first? So you're in an office, you see that there are women maybe older than you, different than you, similar to you, and you want to start talking about shared experiences or, or everything you just mentioned, but you don't just go up to somebody and say, hi, I'm Lonnie. I'd like to tell you about my challenges. What, do, what would you, was the advice that you would give to somebody if you were in corporate America today and they wanted to come approach you? I would say connect with everybody in your office in some type of way. Try to connect with them. Um, try to start up a conversation with them, try to get to know them. And then that way you start to build a chemistry. You see who you like, who, you know, you maybe you just need to just be work buddies with or who's somebody that, you know, is caring and is a friend. And then based on that, that takes a little time. Then, you know, when you have issues, you start to develop these work friends that you know you can trust and that can give you advice and that can help you. And so I would say just start slow. And just start beating the people in your office and talking to them. You've talked a lot about, it seems, how you carved out this identity for yourself within corporate America. I want to talk about some of the expectations of what you felt Black comics should be performing. How did you begin to carve out your own view or dismiss other people's views on, on what you should be performing? 
You have to remember back when I started doing comedy, there was something that happened and it was called Def Jam, uh, Def Jam Comedy, which is very, very raw, hard type of comedy. I describe it in the book in detail. I talk about the comics and it was a great time for black comics that did that type of comedy. I wasn't a Def Jam type of comic. I was more of a mainstream comic. And um, so I wasn't, you know, as raw and things like that. That was the first thing I had to decide what type of comic I wanted to be. But unfortunately, in the industry, once I got in the industry, the industry saw you as a black comic. They thought you're going to immediately be just a Def Jam comic. You were not an alternative comic. You weren't. You were a Def Jam comic. So they expected you to, you know, cuss and talk about body parts and all that kind of stuff. That was not my type of comedy. So I always had to I had to fight that stereotype. Which, like I said, nothing is wrong with being that because out of Def Jam comedy, we got a lot of great comics. We got Martin, we got, you know, D.L. Hughley, you know, let's get Dave Chappelle. We got a lot of great comics, but there was another type of comedy that's out there and comedy is so subjective. So I had to decide what type of comic I was going to be. And so instead of being a Def Jam comic, I, that's why I stayed in my job for like seven more years just to build myself up and try to, you know, show myself in a different light. So it took like seven years for me to actually get out of my engineering job and transfer over into comedy and, you know, be be OK with the fact that I wasn't that raw Def Jam comic. I want to talk about your career today. You you wear many hats. You share hats, you share co-hosting responsibilities on your talk show. How do you keep sane? How do you keep your sense of identity? You know, I think you're performing a lot. And I think a lot of times people feel like when they are in the workplace, they have to kind of put on like the work version of themselves. I think we hear, you know, a lot on, on the show and from our audience, especially women of color, feel like they have to be something for others. And I'm curious, you're high profile, you have multiple jobs. How do you keep a sense of identity? <sighs> well, this is the thing. The thing about television that I'm learning is really hard because the minute you say something or the minute you do something, people judge you on that. So I'm on this talk show and I'm on this talk show with other women. And there are some people that don't realize I've been doing comedy for over 20 years before I got on that show. Before that, I was trying to do my own show. I'm still trying to do my own show. But the point is, is that a lot of people only met me from being on The Real. And so because of that and because of the way the show is set up, they're they're judging me by what they see on that show. But that is a show. It's, it's called The Real, but it's still a TV show. It's not like a podcast. Like I can talk to you ladies and this is me and I'm having a good time. But on television, especially daytime television, there's a certain type of frame and certain things you can talk about, certain things you can't talk about, certain type of language you can use, certain type of language you can't use. Then you're dealing with producers that's, you know, telling you, don't say this, we're going to say that. And ultimately, it is not my show. That is not my show. So that's not me. I'm just on the show. So when you ask me, how do I stay sane? I go out and I do stand-up comedy because stand-up comedy allows me to do my own show and it allows me to be me. It allows me to talk about the things I want to talk about without being interrupted. 
<laughs> it allows me to, you know, express myself. I can talk politics. I can talk pop culture. I can talk about the things that I want to talk about. And so that's why I continue to do stand-up comedy. Unfortunately, we're in this pandemic and I can't go out on the road. But that's what has been keeping me sane all these years is stand-up comedy and having my own show where I can present my own views. Do you ever get nervous? I only get nervous if I don't know what to say. I, I don't think no, you don't strike that- me as someone that doesn't know what to say a lot. Have you ever had that where you get on the stage and you're like, I, I don't know. What do I say? Actually, I have to do a commencement speech. This will be my first commencement speech for my old high school. And I'm still writing the speech. So that is I haven't been nervous in a long time, but I'm nervous about that. I have to be honest. I'm going to work on it and I'll know what to say and it'll be fine. But I haven't been when it comes to stand up comedy. I'm not nervous. But when I have to do speeches or things like that, that are really important that that will influence somebody. Then you're like, because it's a responsibility, you know, and I take it to heart and I take it seriously. So, yeah, I'm I'm nervous about this speech, but I'll get it together. I want to talk about the title of your book. Why did you pick it and what does it mean? That's the book cover. And what it is, is I have like four different people dressed characters on it. And then I have two on the back and basically says, I tried to change so you don't have to. When I was thinking about a title, I was thinking about how throughout my life, like I said earlier, I was thought in order to be happy, I have to be what I thought people wanted me to be. And also I didn't know how to embrace my flaws. And so throughout my process, I've now learned that how to embrace my flaws. And if you want to improve your flaws, that's fine. But if you don't, flaws are something I believe God gives you to make you stand out. So I learned to embrace those flaws. I also learned that, um, you know, they give you a process and they tell you, oh, you got to you got to be like this if you want to make it in Hollywood. And I thought that and I have examples where I tried to do that, where I was the girl that was, you know, I'm going to lose 100 pounds in order to be in this movie. And it didn't happen. I almost, you know, died from it. And so, you know, those are just one of many examples of me trying to change and thinking that that was going to make me happy or that was going to get me the job. And it didn't. So that's why I named the book. I tried to change. So you don't have to. I'm hoping that with, by saying that I tried to do it as an example, hopefully you realize that you don't have to do it and you could just be yourself. You can brace yourself. You can brace who you are and you can make it. You can make your dreams come true. Do you think that the child version of yourself would be surprised of how you've ended up? Oh, yeah. She she didn't even know what was happening. <laughs> she was sitting there watching the Jackson 5. The, you know, they used to have a cartoon back then. And I was in love with Tito Jackson. I don't know why I was in love with Tito. Because Tito was always playing the guitar. I just thought he was so different. You know what I mean? It was everybody like Michael. I said, no, I like Tito. Is he on the side playing the guitar, all this other kind of stuff? You know, and I was just a little girl never thinking that one day I would actually meet Tito Jackson and would be invited to his house. And and, and it was just it's awesome. Little girl and me would never, never. What is something that you haven't done in your career you still want to do? I have my own show. I have a feeling you're going to get it. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Um, all right, we're going to go to the lightning round. Let's drum roll it. What has replaced your morning commute? 
going to my living room and doing my online exercise class. Oh, which class? I do the Peloton classes. Which I'm instructor do you like? Minute. I like Alex Troussant. I think yeah. he used to teach in New York and I, I took it live. Yeah, I like him. They're saving my life. So thank you, Peloton. <laughs> Are you a morning person or a night owl? Definitely night owl. I'm a comic. <laughs> what is your best productivity hack for working at home? That's a hard one. You know what? Actually having a meeting. The only reason why I got up is because I had to meet you ladies. What's the last uh, TV show you streamed or binge watch? Uh, oh, Little Fires Everywhere. Favorite quick dinner to make? Uh, chicken fried rice. Do you have a hidden talent? Um, I can't play the flute. Okay. Um, when's the last time you negotiated for yourself? Uh, a couple of days ago. Because we got all these um, virtual events that's happening and then they you know so can you do it for free and i'm like <laughs> no i said that work what is your shameless plug my shameless plug is to please pre-order my book i tried to change so you don't have to at lonnielovebook.com awesome lonnie it is really wonderful to meet you congratulations lonnie go enjoy thank the peloton you. class thank you ladies i love you ladies <laughs> Hi everyone, we're trying something new. During this time of economic uncertainty, we wanna take a moment to spotlight some new female-founded companies. We've heard from many incredible skimmers who are leading small businesses, and we will be introducing them to you each week on Skim From The Couch. See the link in our episode description for how to submit yourself or a friend. I'm Juana Jones with Jolly Creatives. We are a boutique marketing agency that focuses on storytelling through content, strategy, and design. We pay particular attention to small businesses run by women founders, and we provide storytelling through website design, content writing, email marketing, social media, content strategy. We are based in Miami, Florida, but we service businesses all over the country. COVID-19 hasn't really negatively impacted my business. It's actually forced me to think about ways that I can just continuously be adding value to my clients, to future clients, um, to people who are just generally in the small business population. And so I'm really looking at like a lot of resources that we can provide, free tools and reduced packages, easier packages for people to do to remain relevant throughout COVID-19. The Skim community can help by continuously supporting other small businesses um, and staying in touch with us or getting in touch with us at jollycreatives.com. We have some cool resources, jollycreatives.com slash free marketing plan is something where people can just go and download a marketing template to help them sort of plan out the rest of the year for their marketing. So just staying in touch on social media, Jolly Creatives. It's J-A-L-I-C-R-E-A-T-I-V-E-S. <laughs> and that's on social, all, all the socials. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. Listener.